Thanks for joining us for Faith Meets Mental Health with our host, Kim Boswell, the Alabama Commissioner of Mental Health. If you have any questions for our host, you can always email mentalhealth at fraser.church. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Faith Meets Mental Health Podcast. I'm here again with my guest, Dallas Raybig. I'm Kim Boswell, the Commissioner of the Alabama Department of Mental Health. And I am really happy to be here with Dallas to talk a little bit more about mental health in our community and really what we can do as community members, as parents, as grandparents to support uh, mental health in our community. So welcome back, Dallas. Glad to be here. Great. And uh, we talked, we focused a lot on uh, kids who are experiencing trauma, uh, kids who may have gone through foster care system or going through adoption. And today, I really wanted to have a more general conversation about mental health and how to improve mental health in our children uh, and actually our own mental health as well, because we know that 50% of all mental illness begins by age 14. And so the better job we do of identifying a mental health issue early on, the better job we can do uh, to intervene. And so really just wanted to talk a little bit about um, what we can do as a community to help kids have good mental health and then uh, what we can do to kind of improve our own mental health. And how do we really know when our kids are struggling enough to where uh, they need some intervention? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great um, topic to really be talking about right now. Uh, especially with the stigma around mental health. And I think it's important first that we understand what mental health is, that mental health, everybody has mental health. Babies have mental health. We're born with mental health, right? Mentally healthy. And that the word mental health should not be, shouldn't raise alarms, it shouldn't raise red flags. Um, it's when we have challenges or issues around mental health. So I, I think it's really important to understand that and the things that can negatively affect our mental wellness. Right. Right. Stress, trauma, grief, things like that. And it, that affects children as well as it affects adults. And, you know, we hear often, well, this three-year-old shouldn't be having mental health issues. They don't even remember what happened. Well, yeah, they may not have active memories, but their bodies remember the experiences of grieving or being abused or experiencing some type of trauma. So all of those can lead to challenges later on, um, or even as a three-year-old, you know. Um, babies who lose parents early on uh, often we see very irritable crying a lot you know not eating well not feeding well so so these things do affect us no matter what our age or what developmental phase that we're in so you know that that's kind of the first thing is understanding that mental wellness is something that we all should strive for the other thing is, as a community, you know, also understanding what trauma-informed approaches are, and that 
we shouldn't just leave that to the mental health professionals or to healthcare professionals. We all should be practicing trauma-informed ways of being, I guess you could say. And what that really means is if we think of it as universal precautions, that everyone that we come in contact with has had some type of grief or loss or trauma in their lives. And that's how we should approach that person. So when the other person across from you begins to say things or behave in a way that may be challenging for you to handle is being able to emotionally take a step back, take a deep breath and go, I wonder what's happening with that person in this moment. I wonder what has happened in this person's life that this is how they're responding to me. I wonder how I can respond in a more positive way so that this person across from me feels more comfortable with me. And so understanding that switching or changing or shifting perspective to the other person's perspective really can be beneficial as a community, just as a community in general. I mean, this, right. the, the guy behind the counter at the 7-Eleven, um, as well as the Sunday school teacher or the foster parent or the doctor or the nurse. Um, when we begin to think of people in that light and remember to maintain the idea of humanity and that that person across from me is a human being with feelings and emotions and experiences. It shifts our perspective on how we view that person, regardless of what we see coming from that person. I know this year we, um, at Strolling Thunder, which is an advocacy mm -hmm. event for, for children, I saw folks walking around with this T-shirt and a coworker of ours, I said, I've got to have that T-shirt. And the T-shirt says, all behavior is a form of communication. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's sort of designed for kids and a realization that, you know, if there's a behavior coming out with a child, then they're, they're trying the only way they know how to communicate with you mm -hmm. about what they need and what's going on with them. But then the reality is it's also true for adults. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, I had to have the T-shirt. We all had to have the T-shirt. I think we that. all have the T-shirt yeah. at this point. <laughs> yes. It's like, I need everybody to understand this. You know, as mental health commissioner, it's like, if we could just get everybody to understand that whatever the behavior is, it is a way that people communicate. It may be a really inappropriate way at times but the question you know and it kind of you've heard me talk a lot about dr bruce perry's book mm -hmm. what happened to you and instead of asking the question you know what's wrong with you uh the question is what happened to you and and that kind of goes to mm -hmm. what you were saying about you know just looking at them as a human being instead of you know, looking at them at what's wrong with you, why can't you act better, um, which is kind of sometimes in the South, you know, how we were raised is, you know, you need to act a certain way. God don't like ugly. God don't <laughs> like ugly. And uh, and I'm like, I think God might be okay with like a little anger here and there. And so 
really helping people identify their feelings and regulate their emotions and all of those things, you know, it's really kind of frustrating for me as the commissioner. We invest so much money, time, and energy into our education system. We invest a lot of time and energy into our physical health, uh, but we don't invest the same kind of time, energy, and resources into understanding and learning about our mental health. I've been in a situation talking to college students where, you know, they'll say, you know, when I got to college, I realized I had, you know, a pretty serious anxiety disorder and the overlay of tests and the social life and all of that just really made it worse. But looking back on it, I was like that at nine years old. I just didn't know that that was anxiety. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know that everybody else didn't feel, you know, the same way I did. And so what is it that we could do to really help educate and, you know, I, you know, I can't, you know, sometimes I want to mandate therapy for everybody (laughs) in my role, uh, because I think therapy is a really good thing. And I think uh, Pastor Chris and I talked a lot about that, Um, you know, how important it is uh, really just in your own spiritual growth. There's often some things that you need to do and need to process mm-hmm. uh, so that you can even grow from a spiritual perspective. But sometimes I just feel like we're not very good at it, like dealing with our feelings. Yeah, we're not. We're not. <laughs> and, you know, as a protective mechanism, our brain does this thing called compartmentalizing, right? Or as I like to say, our minds are like a closet or an attic and in that attic are a bunch of shelves and on those shelves are a bunch of boxes and when something happens to us it's very uncomfortable we take that and we put it in the box and we put it on the shelf because it doesn't feel good right but eventually there's going to be um a an earthquake or the cat is going to get up in that attic and knock a box over and spill everything out and and it's like spilling out a bunch of marbles. We may not get all the marbles back in there and get that box put away. And there's loose marbles, mm-hmm. <laughs> lack of a better explanation, rolling around. And we are going to trip over them. We're going to slip on them, right? And until we identify that marble and we look at it and we examine it and we validate it for what it is. And then we go, so I'm picking it up. And I'm going to put it in the appropriate place now so that it no longer has to hurt me. If it falls out, I can go, oh, I know. I know what you are. Come here. I know I know what to do with you. Right. And that's what therapy does. It helps us to identify those things that keep spilling out of the boxes and then learn to put them in an appropriate box so that if it spills out again, we know what to do with it. And that's. That's what good mental health is. But we, if, if, if our families weren't healthy, if our families were, were dysfunctional to begin with, we never learned that skill. And that's the benefit of therapists is that they help teach us those skills. And those are good life skills because those are also skills that when someone in front of us 
becomes dysregulated, we can go, oh, I recognize that. That's one of those little marbles. I know what to do with that. I know that when I see that marble, instead of tripping over it, I recognize it for what it is. I name it. And then I tame it. And I take a breath. And I go, okay. So I'm going to regulate myself so that the person across from me can take their marble and hold it. So I don't have to hold it. They can take their marble and they can regulate because I've regulated. And we call that co-regulation. And oftentimes parents don't know how to do that with their children. And so when children lose their marbles, right, the parents don't know what to do with them because nobody ever taught them what to do with their marbles. And we call those ghosts in the nursery. And those are the ghosts. Those are the things that went unresolved throughout their lives. And when we can teach parents how to handle those marbles, they turn into ghosts, not ghosts, angels, sorry. They turn into angels, angel moments, moments of nurturing, moments of where the child feels held and the parent can feel good and healthy when holding in that moment. And those moments don't just happen they happen over time and you just, you get better at it. Nobody's ever perfect. There's no perfect parent. Dr. Winnicott was uh, a uh, psychologist and research researcher. And he often said, um, use the term, the good enough parent. And we always want to strive to be good enough, not perfect, because we can't attain that. Yeah, it's it's amazing when you see those moments happen uh, with kids and with parents. It's um, I really consider it kind of the ultimate spiritual moment. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of what we were put on this earth to do, really, even from a spiritual perspective Mm -hmm. is to care for one another. Mm -hmm. And um, that's why I feel like it's just so important to have this conversation in the faith community uh, because we need for people to be able to show up and uh, share who they really are and share what's going on in their life and not feel like, well, I'm in a church environment, you know, I'm supposed to be on my best behavior or I'm supposed to be, you know, perfect. I'm supposed to be the perfect parent. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be the perfect wife uh, and really create an environment in the faith community where people can really be transparent and share mm-hmm. who they are. And um, and I will say even, you know, I, it kind of made me chuckle when you were talking about that because I had an experience at work this week because uh, it's helpful even in a work environment um, where I realized, you know, there there's a person who gets really pretty wound up. Mm-hmm. And I realized that it's like all of a sudden I was going home feeling like really overwhelmed and uh, I was having a hard time making decisions. I was having a hard time really moving forward. And um, I started thinking back on, on the conversations and it's like, Oh my goodness, I picked up her marble. And so I began doing the very things that, were sort of frustrating to me. And so it was like the next time I went into the meeting, it's like, I really need to be calm. I really need to be regulated so that she can do that. Because Mm -hmm. if I don't, then I wind up 
in essence, we're both in this kind of circle dance where nothing's happening, decisions aren't getting made, and both of us have a personality where what that means is we just get more and more frustrated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I was like, gosh, oh, yeah, I need to practice those skills in my work environment um, where... You know, it just happens to be one of those times in the organization where there are a lot of deadlines mm -hmm, and a mm -hmm. lot of things going on. And so uh, we have a lot of people who are under a lot of pressure. Um, and I was even uh, speaking with Commissioner Buckner this week. Uh, I was listening to uh, her presentation on the Capitol Journal about her caseworkers mm. and the volume, the turnover, and all of the things that they experience when they go out to a home and really just said, we need to talk about working with your caseworkers around trauma and not trauma in the kids they're seeing, but the trauma they're experiencing in their work environment. Uh, so it was a really good conversation with her about some ways that we might be able to help them process their emotions and regulate mm -hmm. so they can be more available to the kids they're trying to serve. Uh, so I really do think that uh, the world would be a much better place if we learned all those skills. I know I'm biased as commissioner of mental health, uh, but I really do think that learning those skills, being really grounded, uh, being really grounded spiritually, I think is is such a big part of that too. You know, uh, it's the foundation for AA, for Al-Anon, mm -hmm. for almost any kind of recovery. Uh, that there's a spiritual component to that. That you understand, you know, that there is a higher power and you know, my challenge was always there's a higher power and it's not me. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's um, it's a really important spiritual journey for people to take, but so absolutely rewarding uh, when you can get there and you can make that kind of progress. So, um, yes, if I had a magic wand today, I would mandate therapy for everyone. But <laughs> Well, it's funny you should say that because uh, Erickson... University or Erickson Institute, that's what it is. Erickson Institute in Chicago um, created this framework. It's a communication framework and it's called Facilitating Attuned Interactions. And it came out of their Fussy Baby program. And we we have trainers here in, in Alabama um, that train on the fan. We call it the fan. And not just for parents, not just for teachers or caregivers, but we're beginning to do this training around this conceptual framework in administrations. So learning how to communicate with the other person by attuning to what's happening in the moment, taking that time to self-regulate, um, sitting in the moment and allowing for the emotions to happen, allowing space for that person to be in their feelings, and then helping them move into what we call um, uh, collaborative exploration, where we talk about um, what's causing these emotions, and then we move into thinking, well, are you ready to talk about some things we can try or that you can try? And what are your thoughts around that? And then um, moving into um, uh, capacity building where we, we build up that person and I'm here on this journey with you. 
and I will help, you know, however I can. But what happens is that person has that marble that you've picked up where you held it. Well, during that collaborative exploration and that thinking process, you've handed it back to them, you know? Yeah. And now they have their marble and now they have their strategies and they can move forward, but they can also know that you're going to be with them while they're on this journey. And it's a lot like therapy, but it doesn't have to be therapy. If we do this together as a community, this is how we interact with each other all the time. You know, it would be a perfect place. But, you know, it it is something to to strive for to be able to attune to the other person in the moment. And uh, we teach, we also teach parents that in therapy, Um, child parent psychotherapy, we, we do that as well. But, you know, what you were saying really did trigger the thought of um, brought to mind the fan training and how beneficial it is. And it can be beneficial on, you know, any organization to have all of your staff uh, be able to communicate in this way. Right. I know um, this year we've done some leadership development. I think Mm -hmm. we've worked with the same consultants you guys have at Department of Early Childhood. And, you know, obviously as mental health commissioner, you know, I feel a sense of urgency all the time about trying to get services to people, uh, especially the crisis services that we've been putting uh, out in communities. And the biggest challenge is just trying to kind of get folks on the same page and everybody understanding what they need to do and what their role is in the process and uh, how to move forward. And so that whole communication piece Mm -hmm. and conflict resolution Mm -hmm. and all of that Uh, is so important just even in our own organization to be able to accomplish what we want to accomplish, Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, in our work setting, whether it's in a church setting or whether it's in our home life. It just really, really brought home to me. Communication is really Mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy sometimes, I feel like, to misread communication if you're not checking it out with the person if you don't have that kind of relationship mm-hmm. where instead of assuming you know what the behavior means you know sort of asking and I think that's one of the things even in the work environment is getting folks comfortable with not assuming that they know what the other person's feeling or thinking but having a conversation where they check those things out uh, but any yeah anything we could do to improve our communication skills and our Uh, Being present in the moment um, Mm -hmm. is really something that is a skill set that is invaluable for everyone and uh, really would help kind of form a more perfect union. Um, (laughs) You know, it's um, a utopian utopian community, a utopian community. (laughs) Uh, As I shared with Pastor Chris a couple of weeks ago, you know, I'd been through one divorce and headed to my next marriage and went to, uh, you know, the counseling session that you do here at Frazier if you're going to go into a marriage. And, you know, the first one of the very first things I heard is the goal of marriage is not happiness, it's unity. Mm -hmm. 
And I was like, I was so frustrated. I'm like, how am I 35 years old and on my second marriage? And no one told me that. Um, And so I do think a lot of times we have these unrealistic expectations about everybody's got to be happy. No, really, you know, unity is probably the better goal that we Mm -hmm. all understand each other and we kind of all agree on where we're going. And hopefully folks are comfortable with how we get there. But happiness is uh, really hard to attain a sort of utopian goal that is much more challenging. But I was fascinated that, you know, I'd been on this earth that long and through a marriage and no one said Mm -hmm. that's, you know, when it comes to relationships, you know, unity is is a huge thing. And certainly as parents, that's something that you want to accomplish as well. So. Well, happiness looks different for yes, different people. It does. And everyone has a different definition of what happiness is. So you're responsible for your own happiness. Right. You can't be responsible for somebody else's because you don't carry that same definition as your baseline. Right. Right, right. Exactly. Well, thank you, Dr. Dallas. <laughs> that is probably the best definition of therapy and how therapy works in uh Really just excited for you to be here today and uh, really thank you for all the work you do for the little people in our state. I know your heart and your passion for the work and I know you work hard every day uh, to make lives better for the little people in the state. So uh, thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, if you have any questions that you would like to be discussed on an upcoming episode, you can always email mentalhealth@fraser.church. Also, you can view video of our episodes on fraser.church slash videos or on youtube.com slash fraserchurch. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.